morning. Let's open in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for bringing us together. We know that we, each one of us comes to you individually. You, each, you treat us each as individuals and our, how, we, how you touch each of our lives is different. But we also know you call for your community, your family of God to come together, learn from one another, understand just how great and magnificent you are because you, you touch each of us differently. So Lord, as we invite in the Holy Spirit today and we ask that as we raise our voices and listen to your, to your word, that it becomes pleasing to your ear. This we ask in Jesus' name, amen. You know, we had a lovely service yesterday for, for Brad and the, and the Haglin family, and thank you everyone that came and supported supported the Haglins. Uh, you know, they've always they've been very special to us over the over a, uh, for over a decade. So um, I'm sure that they really appreciated everyone being here. So out of Billy Graham's um, forgiveness and fellowship. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Out of Jeremiah 31, 34. There is no possibility of true happiness until we have established friendship and fellowship with God. And there is no possibility of establishing this fellowship apart from the cross of his son, Jesus Christ. God says, I will forgive you, but I will forgive you only at the foot of the cross. He says, I will fellowship with you, but I will fellowship only with you at the foot of the cross. Why is this? Because only through Christ's death on the cross can we be forgiven and reconciled to God. This is why we must come to the cross repenting of our sins and trusting Christ alone to save us. Human pride gets in the way. We don't want to admit that we are sinners or that we're too weak uh, in and of ourselves. Only when we leave our pride at the cross can our hearts be open to God's redeeming grace. When we come to Christ, God imparts his righteousness to us all. In, um, it is as if we are an, an accounting entry had been made in the books of heaven, declaring us righteous for the sake of Christ. The divine bookkeeper cancels our debt. Our hope for today, other religions have people spending lifetimes attempting to reach God and hoping that they've done enough. Through Christ, God made himself accessible to all who would come to the cross. Those who will do uh, those who do will find that the cross is always enough. And I want to finish by saying that while the cross is always enough, once we come to the cross, we hungrily seek after him to know him and do his will. Thank you. If you'd like to stand and join us and ask the Lord to open the eyes of your heart, this morning.
Testament uh, scripture today is Psalms 133. How wonderful and pleasant it is when brothers live together in harmony, for harmony is as precious as anointing oil that has poured over Aaron's head and ran down his beard and onto the border of his robe. Harmony is as refreshing as the dew from Mount Hermon and falls on the mountains of Zion. And there the Lord has pronounced his blessing, even life everlasting. And if you'd like to stand as we say the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you'd like to stand. Oh! 
Testament reading today <clears throat> comes from the Gospel of John, chapter verse, <laughs> chapter 20, verses 19 through 31. That Sunday evening, the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. Suddenly, Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. As he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Then he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, they are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. One of the twelve disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. They told him, we have seen the Lord. But he replied, I won't believe it unless I see the nail wounds in his hands, put my fingers into them, and place my hand into the wound in his side. Eight days later, the disciples were together again, and this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked, but suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faith faithless any longer. Believe. My Lord, my God, Thomas exclaimed. Then Jesus told him, you believe because you have seen me. Blessed are those who believe without seeing me. The disciples saw Jesus do many other miraculous signs in addition to the ones recorded in this book. But these are written so that you may continue to believe that Jesus is a Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing in him, you will have life by the power of his name. If you take your bulletins, we have a responsive reading. Open our hearts to your power, moving around us and between us and within us, until your glory is revealed in our love of both friend and enemy, communities transformed by justice and compassion, and in the healing of all that is broken. Amen. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we give gifts to you. We return to you as you have instructed us, Lord. We ask that these gifts be blessed, that they be used to further your kingdom, that we may grow both in spirit and in numbers, that you will be with us and that we and that we will always be faithful to you. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, to start, I'd like to um, just read again 
this uh, that we sung earlier. Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Open the eyes of my heart. I want to see you. I want to see you. To see you high and lifted up, shining in the light of your glory. Pour out your power and love as we sing holy, holy, holy. Help me to walk in your steps, Lord. Help me to walk in your steps. I want to know you. I want to know you. Father, we, we confess that before you this morning. Uh, and we ask you to open the eyes of our heart. Give us understanding, but we know that understanding comes with a heart condition as well. And so I'm praying that you'll open up our hearts, open up our emotions, open up our, our yearning for you this morning, that we might hear from your word. And having heard, Lord, help us to walk in your steps. Because the goal of being here this morning, Lord, is to, we want to know you, we want to know you better. We want to get more equipment in our armor, Lord, so that we have a defense against the attacks of the enemy and so that we have a reason uh, for the hope. We can share the hope that's in us to those who have no hope. And so we commit this time into your hands, Lord. I pray for the anointing of your Holy Spirit, Father, and open the eyes of our heart, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, our text this morning is uh, Luke chapter 22, and I'm going to talk about the Lord's Supper, since we're doing the Lord's Supper this morning, and I've been wanting for a while to talk about this, and so this opportunity came up, and I thought, yeah, I think I'll just do that. And um, Luke 22, beginning verse 14 through verse 20, and this is, uh, you know, Jesus in the uh, inauguration of the, what we call the Lord's Supper. He didn't call it that, but, but that's what we call it. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. Uh, they were in an upper room in, uh, that had been prepared for them. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And part of what we're going to be talking about is the connection with the Passover. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. After taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit or the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. And as I mentioned, uh, I want to go back to uh, the... Passover celebration, because all of this comes out of the Passover. This was a Passover meal. Uh, this wasn't just, uh, you know, what, you know, they weren't celebrating communion. They were doing a Passover meal, meal at, uh, at that time. So the history of this Passover meal is that God had spoken to Moses and Aaron. Um, Aaron was down in Egypt, Moses up in, in Midian, and Aaron came up and um, and God had spoken to Moses about going down into Egypt and leading the children of Israel out of Egypt into the promised land. Well, Pharaoh hardened his heart and would not let the Israelites go. So God brought ten plagues on the kingdom of, Israel, of, of Egypt. Okay? And you know, you know this from, you know, from your Sunday school, actually. Uh, the ten plagues were turning the blood... Uh, turning water into blood, the frogs, the lice, the flies, the livestock, pestilence, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. And then the last of those is the killing of the firstborn children. And, and this is, you know, by this time, uh, Pharaoh is, is softening some and softening toward his, you know, his stance of finally letting the children of Israel go. And he changed his mind, but at least he let them go initially. So we pick up the story in Exodus uh, verse, chapter 11, verse 4. So Moses said, this is, oh, by the way, I don't have any, uh, no PowerPoint this morning. Sorry, uh, that, that went with the way of lack of time. <laughs> so so <clears throat> you'll have to, you'll have to, uh, actually, you could even get out your Bibles and read this if you want to. So Moses said, this is what the Lord Almighty says, about midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die from the firstborn son of Pharaoh who sits on the throne to the firstborn son of the slave girl who is at her handmill. 
and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there ever has been or ever will be again. Okay, so that's the, that's the stage then. And then it, we pick it up in, in Exodus 12. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. So they're to select a, a lamb, uh, bring it to their, you know, their house, of, their residence. If any household is too small for a lamb, they must share, share one with the nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. So uh, if your family is not big enough, you invite your neighbors in so that, so that all of it can be consumed, all of the lamb can be discerned. Um, you are determined the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animals you choose must be year-old males without defect. You may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month. So four days go by. <clears throat> you know, 10th day, they choose the lamb. 14th day of the month, they uh, sacrifice the lamb. When all the people of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Remember, the Jewish day begins with, with uh, dusk. Um, the, the day would begin. Rather than here, we, we start at 12 a.m., you know, uh, the day starts, but not for them. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the house where they are to eat the lamb. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. So they were to take, uh, you know, slay the animal, take the blood, and then they would put it in a, um, using hyssop, they would, they would uh, put it on the sides of the door frame and on the top of the door frame in the form of a cross. Uh, they would put the blood on that door frame. Do not eat the meat raw or cooked in water, but roast it over the fire, head, legs, and inner parts. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. Okay? This is how you are to eat it, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. Now the reason for the haste is they're going to leave the next morning. All the Egyptians wake up in the morning and, and the firstborn of the cattle and uh, all their livestock and their firstborn in their family are all dead. And so Pharaoh finally says, okay, you can go. And so they go. And so it, it, it's to symbolize this haste. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn, both men and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. That's where the name comes from. Some people think that it, it comes from uh, <clears throat> you know, the word for deliver, other people for Passover. I think it's probably Passover, um, that when from the Hebrew word Passover, and the angel of death would pass over that house. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is a day you are to commemorate for the generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And so we have, um, you know, in Jewish families, particularly Orthodox families, but in most Jewish families, there is an everlasting memorial to the Lord called the Seder. And the Seder celebration. Uh, I think, didn't the, didn't the women's group do that at some point, Linda? Yes. When, when, did you, have you already done it? Yes. Yeah, okay. About two weeks ago, okay. And, and it's a reminder. So they still do this today. Um, they'll gather and they go through this Seder celebration. Now, I've done it in other churches. And <clears throat> so <clears throat> um, it's celebrated even this day. So we're, you know, 3,500 years later, uh, they're still celebrating this. And, and then in Exodus 12, 24, it says, Obey these instructions as a lasting ordinance for you and your descendants. Okay? When you enter the land that the Lord God will give you as he promised, observe this ceremony. And when your children ask, what does this ceremony mean to you? Then tell them, it is the Passover sacrificed to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. Then the people bowed down and worshipped. 
And so part of the celebration is there's four cups that are drunk uh, in this Seder celebration. And, and then there are built into it, and I think it's the, usually the youngest son would, would ask a question, what's the meaning of this, Dad? You know, or whoever is officiating this ceremony. And then he would explain, well, this is uh, you know, when God... Uh, led the children of Israel and delivered them out of the land of Egypt and explained the whole meaning and everything. It really, it's a very beautiful thing. I've, um, as I say, we've done it before, and it's a beautiful celebration. But there's a lot of significance in it, in this Passover celebration. Uh, the Passover lamb, of course, we have the, uh, when John sees Jesus coming, he says, behold, the lamb of God that takes away the sin, sin of the world. Um, the blood on the doorpost. Okay, of course, that's the blood of Christ and the angel of death passes over the, the, that home where there is blood on the doorpost. Uh, the bitter herbs is symbolic of the bitter time in, e in Egypt. The unleavened bread, um, they, they were to, uh, the feast of Passover was followed by the feast of unleavened bread. And for seven days, they didn't eat bread with yeast in it. And that's to symbolize that they didn't have time for the, for the bread to rise before they had to leave. So they had to leave without, um, without you know, leavened bread. And the lamb was without defect. And of course, Jesus is the sinless son of God. God's faithfulness in bringing the children out of Egypt. And of course, we see God's faithfulness in providing an answer for sin for us. And Jesus became the final answer of the, of the Passover lamb. Moses is the deliverer in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, Jesus is the one who delivers us from sin and death. And the haste in leaving, um, as I've mentioned, they were leaving Egypt in the morning. And, and again, Jesus delivers us from sin and death. So it's a beautiful celebration, and it's all looking toward, looking forward to Christ. Christ as the Passover lamb. And in the Passover Seder, there were 15 intricate steps that would be taken. They had to be taken in the same order. Not every Jewish family, you know, would always do all 15 steps, but they would, or, or don't, you know, don't always do all 15 steps, but they'll, they'll do some of them. So Jesus then was looking backward when he's celebrating then this what we call the Last Supper or communion. He's looking backward at this Passover celebration. This is a Passover celebration that he's celebrating with his disciples. He says, I, I really want to celebrate this last Passover with you. And he says, for I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. So the Lord's Supper then is an in-between celebration. Jesus celebrating with his disciples the last of the Passovers in the Old Covenant and then looking forward to the time of the marriage supper of the Lamb. In Revelations chapter, Revelation chapter 19, it says, Then I heard, okay, so we had Jesus looking backward toward Passover, and then this is looking forward to the marriage supper. And he says, Then I heard what sounded like a great multitude, like the roar of rushing waters and like loud peals of thunder shouting, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come. And Jesus is saying, you know, I'm not going to eat this again until that day. And then we're going to be together in the kingdom of God, and we're going to celebrate this together. I'm looking forward to that time. I, I think it's going to be great food for a first one. <laughs> and it's going to be, you know, it's going to be an incredible time of celebration. <clears throat> and his bride has made herself ready. That's us, the church. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given her to wear. Fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Then the angel said to me, write, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. So part of what we are celebrating in communion then is this invitation to the wedding supper of the Lamb. Those who have received Christ uh, and will celebrate that wedding supper of the Lamb together. We are partaking of the elements together in remembrance and looking forward 
looking backward toward the, the old law and the you know, deliverance from Egypt and so on, but also looking forward to the time when we celebrate with Jesus in the last day. So this was Jesus' last meal with his disciples. Jesus had the disciples prepare the Passover meal in an upper room. It was quite common for homes in Jerusalem to have an upper room that would be used for ceremonial kinds of things. And we don't know whether Jesus had made prior arrangements with the man who was carrying the jar of water uh, or, or whether that was a word of knowledge, what we call a word of knowledge, and God just told him uh, how it's going to happen. But anyway, they, they, um, all, uh, they all gathered in this upper room and then in Ephesians, um, I'm sorry. And so Jesus established the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. All right? So this that we celebrate then is Jesus, what Jesus established as a sacrament. Now a sacrament is, is not holy in, in, in and of itself. What it is, is it's a using common element. I mean, it is, it's, it's holy, but it's using common things, and then attaching a significance to them. So the reason, you know, we're, we're going to be partaking of the bread and the grape juice, where there's nothing holy about, you know, the grape juice and the bread, but because they look backward to Jesus and backward to, and we remember, it's a time of remembrance of what Christ has done for us. They're not sacred in and of themselves, but they remind us of the sacredness of the moment with Jesus with his disciples. So, as part of this celebration then, we take the bread, and it says in Luke twenty-two nineteen, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, this is my body given for you, do this in remembrance of me. So this is primarily, it's a remembrance thing. And what we are remembering with the bread, which is broken, is that Christ suffered and was broken, his body broken for us. Isaiah 53, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. All right, so as we break the bread, we're talking about Jesus' body broken for us. And his suffering then becomes the invitation to our healing. 1 Peter 2. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness by his wounds you have been healed. Okay, so the symbolism then is that Christ took our sins upon him so that we can take Christ's righteousness upon us. And we, we make that trade. Christ's righteousness becomes our righteousness and our sin becomes Christ's uh, Christ is poured upon sin. He is sinless, but that's poured upon him, um, our sin. So, as we've mentioned, Jesus is the Passover lamb appointed by God to bear the sins of those who put their trust in him. He was slain for our sin. Jesus wasn't just a good person who suffered an ignoble death. All right? There have been a lot of people who have been persecuted and suffered and so on, all over the world, all the time, people are suffering. But the significance of this is that he was the Lamb of God appointed to be the Passover Lamb. So it was the fulfillment then of all the history, all the, all the Jewish Old Testament, all that ceremonial law is all wrapped up in Jesus hanging on the cross. The Lamb was to be a year old and unblemished, a Lamb without blemish, or defect. So 1,500 years of Passover celebrations then, of year after year celebrating this, this Passover event, this Passover celebration, were all fulfilled in Christ then. 
when Christ hung on that cross, when Christ is, is celebrating this with His disciples, the, all of that Old Testament is fulfilled in Him. He became the fulfillment of the entire Jewish law. It's all poured out on Him. And He becomes the fulfillment. In Matthew chapter 5 it says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. All right, so Jesus didn't come to say, well, you know, that Old Testament law, we, don't, we just don't go by that anymore. He became the fulfillment of all those things. So it's all, you know, it's all when he's celebrating then this Passover meal, all of that Jewish law is, is wrapped up in and fulfilled in Christ in that moment, in his death and resurrection and so on, in the life of Jesus. I tell you the truth, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now it's important that we realize that, okay? The Old Testament law is not, is not wrong. It is all fulfilled. It's, it's necessary. It's leading up to the fulfillment by Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1.3 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then it says in verse 7, In Him, in Christ that is, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. So the significance of this breaking of the bread then is that we have redemption. And so every time that we celebrate communion, we are celebrating and remembering Jesus' substitutionary atonement for us. Our sin upon Him, His righteousness upon us. And we're to remember Jesus' broken body when we break the bread. He was broken so that we who are broken might be healed. I'm going to repeat that. I, uh, <clears throat> he was broken so that we who are broken might be healed. That's the significance. In Isaiah 53, and the rest of we, we read verse 3, Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him and afflicted. One of those songs we read that we, we sang was uh, very close to that. Uh, I thought it really said it well. Smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was sinless, all our sin placed upon him. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. So all that punishment for that, we've, that we do, all those sins that we've committed, that's all poured upon Jesus, that punishment that was due to us, that should be ours, because we have to pay for sin. All right, God can't just say, well, you know, okay, I forgive you. I forgive all your sin. No, it had to be, there had to be an answer for it. And that's what Jesus became then. So when we celebrate the breaking of the bread, we are celebrating that, that Christ took all our punishment upon him. And therefore, we are forgiven, our sins are forgiven, and we have righteousness and we have freedom and holiness in him and because of him. And by his wounds we are healed. We all like sheep have gone astray, each of us has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. I mean, that, that's what it means to be a Christian, is that our sin has been placed upon Jesus. So that we can be free from that, so we can have life. I love the bumper sticker. Uh, I don't see it much anymore, but uh, it, it said, not perfect, just forgiven. <laughs> I love that. Not perfect, just forgiven. We're not perfect. Yeah, we're, we've all got our faults, and we all, you know, we all sin all the time, okay? But we can confess that, and we, you know, we, there's an initial forgiveness as we confess our sin, and we become Christians, but then there's a daily reminder that we, that we, that we confess our sins to Christ. We say, Lord, take this away. Uh, you know, I'm struggling with this. Take it and cleanse me. And so we, we can be forgiven all the time, but it's all upon Jesus. Jesus became the payment for our sin. And then there's the cup. Luke twenty two seventeen. 17, after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among you, 
For I tell you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. In verse 20, in the same way, after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So first of all, is Jesus' blood was poured out on our behalf, on our behalf. 1 Peter 1.18, the following says, for you, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. He was chosen before the creation of the world. So this is God's plan from the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Now, uh, where it says here, um, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. I want to explain that a little bit. A covenant was an agreement, okay? And it was an agreement between God, a holy God, and, and man. And, and a covenant is either one-sided, which we call an unconditional covenant, okay? And that does not depend on man for its fulfillment. But a conditional or mutual covenant Covenant depends on the un, the uh, the righteousness or the uh, the certain actions of man. Okay, so God does His part; man does his part. <clears throat> well, the problem is that men could not keep the old covenant. God gave the covenant, and He He said, "If you do this, then." and you keep my law, you will, you know, you'll, you'll have life, and things will go well for you. Well, they couldn't keep it. That was the problem. That was the problem with the old covenant. So God had established that there would be a new covenant. Not the old covenant is, was bad. It just depended on man who was sinful. Those laws are good, but man wasn't good. And so Jesus came along, and Jesus became instituted, inaugurated with the communion, or the Lord's Supper, the new covenant. The new covenant now is not based upon man's ability to be able to keep it, because we've already said that our sin has been poured upon Jesus. So God himself provided the solution. The new covenant. And he gave man a new heart and a new nature and a new relationship with himself. So the old covenant was the law of Moses, daily sacrifice, no permanent sacrifices for sin. And it represents the sacrificial system given to Moses in order to establish God's people. Okay, So that was very necessary. And then I've got a quote here, Wayne Grudem, and he talks about the Old Testament, the Old Testament or the Old Covenant and the New Covenant. He said, moreover, although the sacrificial system of the Mosaic Covenant did not really take away sins, but temporarily, it was foreshadowed the bearing of sin by Christ. So the whole Old Covenant, the whole Old Testament then, is looking toward the, the fulfillment of Jesus. It's a shadow. We talked about that weeks ago. It's a shadow of what is coming. It foreshadowed the bearing of sin by Christ, the perfect high priest who was also the perfect sacrifice. Nevertheless, the Mosaic Covenant itself, with all its detailed laws, could not save people. That was the problem. They couldn't keep it. It's not that the laws were wrong in themselves. The law was good. The problem was that it required man to do our part, to keep the law. For they were given by a holy God, but they had no power to give people new life. And the people were not able to obey them perfectly. Paul realized that the Holy Spirit working within us can empower us to obey God in a way that the Mosaic law never could. For he says that God has made us competent to be members, ministers of a new covenant, not in a written code, but in the Spirit. For the written code kills, but the Spirit gives life. So it's no longer then incumbent upon us that we have to do everything right in order to be righteous. 
Let me repeat that. It's no, no longer do we have to do everything right to be declared righteous. We look to and believe on and trust in Christ who was and is righteous. And so our righteousness is no longer our own. Oh, I'm doing all the, all the things I need to do. It's that we believe on the one who did everything right. That's a totally different kind of concept, isn't it? Because we can't keep it. We can't keep the law. We can't be perfect people. But we believe on the one who was perfect in our stead. The result is that we can live in newness of life and not in the old way of the law. So, what does this mean then to us today? Christ is our Passover lamb. He was slain once to cleanse us from sin. That's the good news, isn't it? When we celebrate communion, what we are celebrating is that Christ died for our sins. Hebrews, it says, when Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made, that is to say, not a part of his creation. He did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place, listen to this, once for all by his own blood. Christ, once and for all, he became a once and for all sacrifice so that we can be cleansed of our sins having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then, and really if you go through the book of Hebrews, it's all about how much more, how much greater, how much better are they, are, is that which is part of the new covenant as opposed to the old covenant. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God. He offered himself. He willingly gave his life so that we could have life. Cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. So the good news is, as we celebrate communion then, it's a, it's a celebration, a reminder that our consciences have been cleansed from acts that lead to death. We no longer have to, have to deal with death. Christ has given us a new nature. He has given us new life. And we're celebrating that as we celebrate communion. Hebrews 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, so, as Mike, Mike talked about this, Mike Petrolak, when he preached, that the, the curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, was torn when Christ died, signifying to us that we have entrance into the holiest of holies, and that's a new and living way. Open for us through the curtain, that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So what we're celebrating is we have access to God. We can draw near. We don't have to stay on the outside in the holy place. We can go into the holiest of holies with God. We've been set free from sin. Our sin is paid for. Christ bore our sins on his shoulders that we might have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. That's the good news. And we have a new and living way open to us through the curtain. We're cleansed from a guilty conscience and we have a better covenant with greater promises brought to us by God himself. This was God's plan. This is what God wants for us. So Christ fulfilled the ceremonial law. And what we're celebrating this morning and remembering is that Christ fulfilled the ceremonial law. He became the, the, the end of all that ceremonial law, the fulfillment of everything, and established this new covenant with a, through a new and living way, new access into, God, into God's very presence through his blood. 
We have salvation by grace, not by works. Our work is to believe in and trust in Christ's death on the cross as the atonement for our sin. So Christ doesn't call perfect people. Christ calls ordinary people like you and like me to share in his presence and through his blood then, entrance into the very throne of God. That's what we're celebrating this morning in communion. You know, as we do celebrate communion this morning, um, <laughs> what a wonderful explanation of the, the Old Testament and the New Testament and how we are forgiven. And our song just happens to be, just as I am. You know, we come just as we are. However, we, we need to, even though we've been forgiven for all of our sins, we need to come before the Lord. And if we have anything against um, our brother or sister, or, you know, that we would, we would confess that as we sing this morning. And in 1 Corinthians, it says, So anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Um, so if you eat the bread or drink the cup, Without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment on you. That's why many of you are weak and have even died. So we must examine ourselves so that we would be judged by God in this way. Um, yet, when we are judged by the Lord, we're being disciplined so that we were not condemned along with the world. So just, um, you know, this is such a special time. And last week, you know, with Easter and, and just the whole thing, and now today, you know, the explanation of the, the whole um, Old Testament and New Testament um, and how it, it was fulfilled in Jesus. So let's, let's just sing Just As I Am this morning, and you can, you can stand if you'd like. Surrender. I surrender all. I surrender. 
Father, as we go out today, let us remember these words that we've heard. Let us take it, make it, bring it in our hearts, make it part of our everyday lives. For Lord, you are there with us always. And for this, we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Peace.